for Second Hebrews, there's only one book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 6. This morning, Hebrews chapter number 6. You've got your outline there. We'll follow right along. And I know you might have that outline there thinking, it's awful thin today, Pastor. That means it's going to be short. I don't know. After this service, I'll know how long the sermon is for the next service, but I don't have a clue right now how long it is. You're like, Pastor, you don't practice? Oh, I practice and go through it over and over again. But that means nothing until you get up here to do it. Hebrews chapter number 6, and we're going to be reading today verse 9 through verse number 20. And so verse 9 through verse number 20, we'll look back and review a little bit and then dive into the new stuff and get where we can this morning. Verse number 9 says, But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Now we see there it says, patiently endured. And we think, oh, that was a long time that Abraham patiently endured waiting for a son. We'll talk more about that here in a few minutes. Verse 16 says, For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability, the unchangingness of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things it is impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made, after, made in high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Father, I pray that you bless the next few minutes that we have this morning, and I pray that you'd help us and guide us through this passage. I pray that we would see the truths that are here. I pray this morning that if there's someone here in this service that doesn't know you as their Savior, that today you would convict their heart of their need for a Savior and that you'd do a work in their life today. I pray for maybe the believer that's been struggling with the assurance of their salvation, that as we look at this passage in context with what we've already studied, that they might see some things today to help them move forward in their Christian walk and in their life. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If we go back and we remember what we talked about last week, we were in chapter 6 here, and we looked at verse number 4. It says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the heavenly ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. And we looked at these verses last week, and I tell you, almost every week of being a pastor, just about, I'll have someone who reaches out to me 
And they're like, I just don't know that I'm saved. I got saved, but then this. I had just this last week, someone reached out to me on Wednesday. And they're like, a friend of mine goes to some sort of church. I'm not going to name what church it was. But they go to a church that has some roots that would lean towards you can lose your salvation. So she's like, I grew up in a Baptist church, but then my friend is telling me, because I'm living in sin, that I lost my salvation. Now, and she's like, I'm very convicted about this. That's a good sign to have conviction. Conviction is good, because the Holy Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. But the problem is, a lot of Christians doubt their salvation. And in that passage we read last week, you know, there are those that say you can lose your salvation, but you can gain it back. That's not what the Bible says in this passage, if this were the case. In this passage, if you look back at verse 4, it says, it's impossible for those who were once enlightened, and then you go down to verse number 6, to renew them again to repentance. If you can lose your salvation, according to this passage, you could never get it back. That's what the Bible teaches here. Even though people take this and twist, people will twist the Bible to mean whatever they want it to mean. And it's sad. And they will answer to God for what they do with God's word. And that's why it's a very scary thing to preach the word of God. You say, why? Because I'm going to give an answer to God for what I preach from his book. And that scares me because his book is perfect and Brian is far from it. But we, and so that cannot be talking about those who are saved and lose their salvation. Last week, through time, we looked at it, studied it out, and that verse is talking about saved people. Once you've been saved, it's impossible for you to get saved again. That verse there that says, if you fall away, that fall away is not the word where we get apostasy to fall from God. Once you're in the Father's hand, you cannot fall from God. Can you trip and stumble in the Christian life? Yes, you can. But can you fall from God? No. I gave two examples of that. We think, about in the, we think about the disciples. We think about Judas. And we think about Peter. Did Judas fall? Yes. He fell from God. He was never saved. You cannot lose something you've never had. He was not saved. And that's an example there. You have Peter. Was Peter saved? Yes. Did he stumble and deny the Lord and fall? Yes. Did he go back to his old life? Did he backslide? Yes. But then he came back. The thing is, and what I explained to this lady on Wednesday is, the fact is, you're, the problem in your Christian life is you're not growing. And you're moving backwards because, as you just mentioned, the sin that's in your life. And until you repent, of, until you clean up, and this is after salvation. Let's get things, some things straight. People twist repentance all over the place. Repentance is a turning from and turning to. When you get saved, repentance is turning from what you believe and turning to Jesus Christ. In the Christian life, as, the, as God convicts you and as we're sinning, repentance is turning from that sin and realizing you need Jesus. And that's what it is. Now, you don't do that to get saved. But if you're going to grow in the Christian life, you're going to have to repent of your sin and grow. Like I asked this person, they're like, well, what I'm doing, I really can't change. I'm like, then you really don't want to grow as a Christian if that's the case. Like, well, how do I do that? If I'm living with someone I'm not married to, you say, pastor, is it wrong to live with someone I'm not married to? I, I guess if you lived in separate areas of the house, had locks on your doors, and stayed far away from one another, I guess you could make that work. Maybe. Maybe. 
But if there's anything, anything called fornication taking place, it is a sin against God. It is. We don't like to admit that in our world today, but it's the truth. Fornication is sin and wrong. And as Christians, it should be something we don't do. Got awful quiet in the room. Sorry. But the problem is, she's enjoying her sin a little too much, and she's not ready to grow in the Lord. You cannot be restored and grow until you get rid of that sin. Just like we could look at lots of areas in the Christian life. And this is first service. The camera's not on, so I can say what I want right now. So that's what happens when you come to this service. But I have people ask me often, can a homosexual get saved? Yes. Because you're not, you're not repenting of all your sin to get saved. You're turning from what you believe to Christ. But what's going to happen is, once you get saved, you cannot be very long reading the Bible and see that the life that you're living is wrong. And when you see that, and if you don't repent of it, you will never go anywhere in the Christian life. And you'll be doing what these people here in Hebrews had done over and over and over again. You don't repent from all your sin to get saved. You repent from your sin to grow in the Lord once you're saved. It's where we, where we work out our own salvation. It's a teamwork. He saves us, and we have to work it in the Christian life. And I could say a lot more there, but I think you get what I'm saying. God doesn't want you to doubt your salvation. God doesn't want you to stay a spiritual infant your entire life. God wants you to grow. We see in verse number 9 as we dive into today's text, it says, but, that's the first word there, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation Though we thus speak, and what is the writer here, and I believe it's Paul, but what is the author here saying? There's better things for you than to be wandering through your Christian life and wondering if you're saved, wondering what's going on. There comes a point where you've got to grow and move forward for God. The person I mentioned a little bit ago that is talking to me this week, they asked me the same exact same question six months ago. You know what that tells me? In six months... There has been no growth in their Christian life. And they're in the same spot they were in six months ago. You're like, what did you tell them? What I just told you. Sometimes you have to tell people the truth, even if they don't like the truth. And the word of God is truth. And so if it's God's word and not my opinion, I will speak it. And that's what I did. That's why some people like to come to me and some people don't, because I will we'll talk about sin. And I got... You're like, Pastor, you're just brutal. Imagine having to live with yourself. And then when you sin and the Lord's convicting you, there's a lot to it all. I think God puts the, the biggest sinners as pastors. So that way, they have to always be in the Word of God. I think that's why I'm a pastor. I think that's why God did it, because I'm a mess. But anyways, as we look here this morning, you weren't supposed to be laughing about that. Was that Alana laughing over there? That was Alana laughing. I know I heard a laugh somewhere over there. And so I don't know if that laugh is in agreement or what that laugh is, but you don't have to answer that. In agreement that I am the, one of the biggest sinners. Yeah. Oh, you're admitting you're a big sinner too? Okay, we both are. We all are in this room. We'll get that straight right there. But we get to this point in the passage... And what the author's doing now is he's trying to encourage the believer. He's kind of beat up the believer a little bit. Like, your problem is, I want to give you meat, but you can't handle meat. 
You need people to teach you all over again. You're never growing in the Christian life. It's time to move on. And now he's trying to encourage us in that area. So as we look here this morning and we see these things, I want you to see that you've got to understand, in the Christian life, there are going to be difficult days. Do you realize that today? Not every day is going to be great. And I think some people get the idea that once they get saved, that magically it's just going to be a wonderful life and there's never going to be a problem. Even in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, there are a lot of problems, right? That's my favorite Christmas movie right there. But, in the, but we look at life, there's always going to be issues. There's always going to be things going on. The blessing is that as a believer today is the fact that God is with you through all the trials and through everything that goes on in life. And so as we look here this morning, and maybe you find yourself struggling today. Maybe you find yourself in doubt. Maybe you find yourself like that woman I mentioned earlier today, just a few minutes ago, that is in her sin and doesn't want to keep growing and is going to keep having that doubt and having that confusion until she moves forward for God. Maybe you're there this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not even saved. You don't even know what being saved means. And it's the most important thing you will ever do in your life. Today, there's something for everyone sitting in this room. And I hope that you'll pay attention as we look here today and see what is here. In the midst of life and the tough times that we go through, I want you to understand something. You can move forward for God. We look at verse number 9 there. It says, But beloved, ye are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye showed towards his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to a full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now as we look, you see there's two things mentioned from verse 11 to verse 12. It tells us in verse 11 that we need to be diligent. Do you see that there? Show same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. And then the next verse says not to be slothful, but followers of them. So what that tells me is it's a lot easier to coast through the Christian life and not grow. It's a lot easier to not have hope. It's a lot easier to live in despair. Are we naturally hard workers or are we naturally more lazy? Lazy. We are. And we, we see it in our world today. Do you notice how a lot of those growing up today, the, we see things, people are getting lazier and lazier. Work is something you have to instill and teach people. And it's something that we're losing today. And you say, why? Because our flesh is a lot easier to be slothful than it is to be diligent. But the Bible says here that we must be diligent diligent to the full assurance of hope and it also says don't be slothful but be diligent so as we look here today and as we take some time i want you to understand the author here is trying to encourage god's people this is written to believers i think you can see that here to not give up to keep working towards growing in their maturity and not to become sluggish in their faith 
He reminds them of Abraham, as we're going to look at here, and what God did in Abraham's life, and how Abraham, we have the book, we get to see what took place. Abraham didn't have the book back then. He didn't get to see what was going to happen, how long it was going to take for God to fulfill his promises. He didn't see all that. God just spoke to him and told him, this is what's going to happen. He had to trust God. And he had confidence in God. And this morning, as we look here this morning, one of the greatest dangers we have that I see in the Christian life is so many Christians losing hope. Why are you losing hope? Pastor, look at the world. I know. If your hope is in this world, yeah, you should be losing hope. Look, look at America. Look at our government. Have you looked at our government lately? Have you looked at the mess that it is? It's amazing that the Secretary of State just sent a letter to Russia telling them not to prosecute their political adversaries and that it's wrong the same day they're doing the same thing here. It makes no sense whatsoever. And you can, and we can, you can say all you want. If you want to say that Trump deserves to go to jail, then Clinton should go to jail, the Obama should go to jail, and there's a lot. Why don't you just take Washington, D.C. and put the whole thing? Put them on Alcatraz. There you go. Put all of them, whatever side they're on. Well, I got claps in church. You don't say amen for the Bible, but we will for that. But you say it's first service. I know there's no camera going. I can say what I want. YouTube's not going to censor me for that right now. You say, well, you say that next service? I say what I want to when I want to, and if YouTube does something about it, that's fine. I don't use personal illustrations if that person that was talking to me this week is watching the sermon next service, because I don't want them to know that. Other than that, that's the, I don't use personal illustrations on there where this is the only service I can. So that's why you come to the 830 service, to be a part of a personal illustration and things like that. But if your hopes and Peter, you missed it all right there. You missed, and so oh, you heard me. Wow, you can hear, you can hear things from. Uh, good. Um, anyways, we'll just drop that subject quick. So, hopefully, you washed your hands. And uh, if your hope is in Washington or in Sacramento, there is no hope. That's why Christian, you have better things. You have more to be persuaded of. You have Jesus. You have a hope that is anchored and secure, and you can stand upon the promises of God. Why go around life like there is no hope? That's how most Christians live today. When we have hope today, there is hope. And as we look here today, and the fact that we have an anchor for the soul, I want to give you three points that will help you in your Christian life this morning. Number one is the fact that God himself brings us comfort. God himself brings us comfort. The Bible tells us down in verse 13, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he swore by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. As we look at Abraham, and you've got to remember, this is written to the Jews, right? So, of course, Abraham is a great person to remind them about right here. Now, when we look and think about the family we get grafted into, right? We get grafted into Abraham's family, so Abraham's a great guy for us to look at too here. When we look at Abraham, we see the fact that how God encouraged Abraham along the way. 
You'll recall that Abraham was called by God to leave the pagan land where he lived and to leave all that behind and to go someplace all new by himself. The Bible tells us in Genesis 12, verse 1 through 3, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now go back one screen for me, Ryan, to the beginning of that verse. He says, go to the land that I will show thee. How many of you ever say, all right, we're going to go on a road trip. We're just going to get in the car and go wherever God leads us. None of us do that. You have a spot where you're going, and you know right where you're going. And some of you, it would drive you nuts. Annette, it would drive you nuts not to know what you're doing and when you're planning something. You, yeah, you know it's true. But anyways, when we look, you've got to understand, he just said, go. I'll show you where you need to stop. We want, okay, Lord, do you have an address? Put in my GPS? Tell me where I'm stopping? How many days am I going to be traveling? How many hotels do I get to along the way how much gas or where am i going to find a spot to charge my electric vehicle now every 300 miles whatever the case may be it takes a lot to travel anywhere and god says just go and i will show you and you know that look wow that's just an awesome thing that how many of us would do that if god told us that god also told him i'm going to give you a son abraham is not so really young at this time He's probably in his 80s about, 80s, 90s. He's older. That's kind of old to be having children, don't you think? I know some of you in the room, you just, you know, you think, and no, it's getting, my mom the other day, and I don't know her mind with her dimension things, the other day she told me, guess what? What? I'm pregnant. I'm like, you have been several times in your life. But at 77, I don't think that's the case. She's like, yeah, you're probably right. I'm like, yeah. Sometimes I'm right, and that might be one there. But you know, you know how crazy that sounds, 77 and pregnant? That's Abraham and Sarah. It was even older than that. And God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a kid. And they waited, and they waited. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 15, in verse number 6, says, and he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. It was a long time. You even look at Abraham and Sarah, and I love how, I love how the New Testament, do you realize the Old Testament tells us all the bad things all these people did too? But when it's recounted in the New Testament, the bad is left out, and the good is mentioned. Isn't that what the Lord does? He chooses to forget Nick, what was that song last week? What sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. That's what the Lord does. Isn't, that's a blessing. And you know that Abraham and Sarah, Sarah says, it's not going to work out. You can have my handmaid, Hagar. And Ishmael's born. That was not God's plan. That was not God's way. They didn't do it God's way. And eventually God gave them a son. God gave them Isaac. I'm sure that as he was sitting there, and as he was waiting, waiting day after day, he had to doubt at times. 
Is God really going to do this? Is God really going to bless my family above all? He hasn't even given me a kid yet. Almost 100 years old and there's still no kid. I don't, what is God doing? Do you ever get that way in the Christian life? Where you know what God said in his word? You're like, I'm trying to live it. Trying to do what I'm supposed to do, but why is life going this way? Why are these struggles there? Why are these things there? Why isn't God coming through for me right now? I'm sure Abraham was right there with you on those thoughts. And then imagine that God gives you a son, like he promised him. And then God says, okay, Abraham, I want you to take your son. I want you to go offer him as a sacrifice to me on Mount Moriah. In Genesis 22, Abraham follows God and offers, takes his son to offer him as a sacrifice. And the Lord stops him. Say, was Abraham going to do it? I believe so, because God stopped him. Why else would God... You say, he was going to kill his only son, the one that God promised him. God told him to. And he had faith in God enough that God would come through. I remember Isaac's with him. And I think about the submission on Isaac's part there. You got a hundred plus year old man and you are walking up a hill. And he says, and you see the fire, you see the stuff for the fire and you see no sacrifice and you're going to be the sacrifice. It would have been really easy just to push dad over and just run away. But he didn't do that. You think about it, he's, he's a teenager and his dad's, over, his dad's over 100 at the time. And we see that as they get close, Abraham tells him, behold, God will provide a lamb and God will take care of these things. And as we look, we see in verse 13 again, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. You know, when we, if you go to court, you're a witness. They give you this book that you're supposed to put your right hand on because you're swearing that you're going to tell the truth to something that is viewed greater than yourself. Right? My kids, it's one of the new things that they do, and I told them they need to just stop. So they'll be talking to one another about something. Put your hand on the Bible. Make sure it's true. Put your hand on the Bible. I'm like, you guys need to stop. You can't just keep saying that all the time. Put your hand on the Bible. Put your hand on the Bible. Guys, just tell the truth. <laughs> Put your hand on the Bible. I hear it all the time from them. I'm like, you guys need to just calm down with that. But as we look here, the fact that God, he swore by himself. Think about this. Is there anything greater to swear by than God himself? No. He is the greatest out there. There is no one like God. And God did this. Say, so, well, why would God do this? God did this for Abraham's sake. Did God, need to re, did God need to make sure he was going to keep his vow? No, God keeps his promises. God does what he says he will do. But as we look here this morning, we should see the fact that God himself can bring us comfort. And that's what God did for Abraham. Number two, as we continue on, we see God's promises bring us comfort. God's promises bring us comfort. Verse 16 says, For man verily swear by the greater... 
and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs a promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. As we look here, we see, why did God make an oath? Why did God do this? He did it for Abraham's sake. He didn't do it for himself. He said, well, why would he need to do it for Abraham's sake? Because Abraham had been around long enough to know that there were many people in his own life that had promised things. How many of you have ever been promised something and they fall through on it? All the time, right? In the next few months, I'm probably going to have to get another car because hopefully the gap coverage is finishing paying it off in the next couple weeks. They finally settled that all, which is great. One of the worst places I like to go on earth, well, the two worst places. I got, tomorrow I get another tooth pulled. And then I got to go to a car dealership in the next couple weeks. I would rather get the tooth pulled than go deal with a car salesman. Now, if you got a good honest one, you tell me who they are, but they're hard to find. Just like car mechanics. I've got a great mechanic now. That's because you want to find an honest mechanic. They're hard to find. And so we, and, you know, we look at it. People lie to us all the time. How many times do you go into the car dealership and say, this is the payment I want, and this is how long I want it? They're like, okay, okay, we got you. We got this settled. And then they come back with a piece of paper. It's $100 more a month. That's, that's not what I said. Oh, but that's, that's all we could do. No, no, that's all they could do. They say things. People say things. You watch those infomercials on TV. Double your money back. You realize that company's going to go out of business before they could ever give you double your money back. Lifetime warranty. Yeah, they go out of business and there's no lifetime warranty. It's gone. People lie all the time. We see it today. Government. Lies, 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 lies all the way around. The news. Lies, lies, lies. And you say, well, they're, they're taking some truth and spinning truth. That's lying. We need truth. Say, well, who, I've had people ask me, who do you listen to for news? Nobody. Nobody. Say, why? I don't trust any of them. Say, well, where do you get it from? I just don't follow the news. Say, well, how do you know anything that goes on? I get bits and pieces here and there, but I turn it off. Say, well, why do you do that? Because I'm one of those that could get carried away if I watch too much of it. And so I have to weed it out of my life. Why? Because I will get consumed with that and not be consumed with what matters. And you get so consumed in everything going on around us, you will lose hope very fast in everything. That's why if you stay close to this book, you'll be okay. And instead of all the news time you watch, why don't you spend that time in God's Word? It will do more for your life and more good than an hour newscast will. Just a little thought there. God's promises can bring us comfort. I love the fact that as it says here, how many people will swear over the Bible and still lie? How many people will sign a paper for a loan for a car or for a loan for a house and say they're going to make their payments every month and then they lie about it? People all the time will swear by their name and it means nothing. You even have that church where we have... uh, you know, we have a sign-up for we're going to spend money to go to a baseball game or something. And then people sign up, and then they don't go, and then the church is out money because of it. It just, it's the way we are. And I'm not excusing it, 
and I'm not building it either way. What I'm saying is God told Abraham, I'm swearing by myself, I can't lie. So if I tell you I will save you and give you eternal life, that means I will give you eternal life. If I tell you the fact that there's nothing, and that's why Paul said, I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a, I'm persuaded. I believe it. Why? Because God said it, and that settles it. That's why there are many people out there who say, well, you're so narrow-minded. You Baptists or you Christians, you're so narrow-minded that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And that's what the Bible says. And if God can't lie, then what God says in his book is true. And if you're trying to work your way to heaven, if you're trying to get baptized to get to heaven, if you're trying to be a good person, the Bible says the only way you get to heaven is through Jesus Christ because he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And no one gets to God but through Jesus Christ. You say, but that's narrow-minded. I don't know about that, but I know that's what this says. And if that's what this says, God doesn't lie, and God is true. Let God be true, and every man a liar. Ever heard that before? When we think on that, when I stand before God someday, I'm not going to trust what someone else told me about salvation. I'm going to trust what this book said and remind God of what he said if there's a question about it, but I don't think there will be. God keeps his promises. You're going to have hope today in the fact that God keeps his promises. Thank God for the fact that he keeps his promises. And what an encouragement that should be to us today that God swore on himself, the greatest being ever, the one who created everything. He swore on himself. And God does not lie. Thank God for that. See, this morning, God himself brings us comfort. God's promises bring us comfort. And lastly, number three, and we're just about done, God's presence brings us comfort. Look at the end of the passage there, verse 19 and 20. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is forentered, even Jesus, made an high priest after the order of Melchizedek. As we look here, we see that anchor of the soul. We sang this morning, I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. When we think about those things, we see three descriptions about the anchor of our hope. First of all, letter A, it is sure. That word implies that it's outwardly safe. There is nothing that can topple a believer's hope. That's why Paul said what he did, that he's persuaded that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And you think about those verses, just look at all those things that are listed. Death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, nor any other creature. Is there anything else you could really add to that list? There's nothing you could add to the list. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Let me rephrase that real quick. There is one thing that can separate you from the love of God, and that's rejecting his son. Those that are not saved don't have the love of God. Those who receive the son have God's love, and nothing can separate you from God's love. It's, as we look here, we see it sure. It's outwardly safe. Let her be It's steadfast. This points to the inward stability of the anchor of hope. 
In other words, there is no weakness. There's no weakness in hope as the anchor of the soul. You don't have to be worried about your hope going bankrupt today or anything else because it is sure, it's steadfast, and then think about this letter C. It can rest. It says it entereth into that within the veil. It demonstrates the place where the anchor rests. Now, any of you know what an anchor is used for? It's used to keep a boat from moving, right? You drop the anchor down into the water and it, sit, it hooks into something. And when it hooks into something, the boat doesn't move. The thing is, the anchor has to be hooked into something, right? And you have to have the anchor tied to your boat. Because if you have the anchor in the ground, but it's not tied to your boat, it's not going to do your boat any good, right? The boat will still float out. I'm sure there have been a few people that have forgotten to do that. One of my favorite shows growing up was The Three Stooges. And I can remember at least one episode there where they forgot to, they forgot to hook the anchor in and Curly, whoop, 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 whoop. And, you know, the boat's floating out to sea and they're trying to jump in to get into it. And uh, that's good wholesome TV right there. Like, that teaches kids to punch you. I know, I know, I know. But anyways, that's what I grew up on. That's probably why I am the way I am today. But you've got to understand something as we look at this. So our anchor doesn't go down into the ocean like a boat anchor does. Our anchor goes, look at what it says here. It says, which hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. So what is that veil talking about? You would know as a Jew here, and as a believer, your mind would go back to the high priest. Entering in to the Holy of Holies through the veil. And once a year, he would enter into that veil and into the Holy of Holies and offer a sacrifice for the people. And then he would make his way out of there. You got to understand something today. Your hope is not anchored to the ocean. Your hope is anchored to what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. And when he applied his blood on the mercy seat of heaven, your anchor today is rested in heaven, hooked in, good to go. No one can mess with that. It is safe. It's secure. It's sound. Your hope is there. Hope has always been there in the Lord. But then the question becomes, are you tied to that hope? A believer is tied to that hope. And you are safe, sure, steadfast, and you can rest within it. Problem is, why a lot of people out there have no hope, because they just need Jesus. And you can tie yourself to the anchor of rest and find rest for your soul forever. As we look at this, we think about the Bible says here, it uses that phrase, it says whether the forerunner is fore-entered even Jesus. That word forerunner, it's a term that's used here. It's one that describes the scouts who went ahead of the troops. So just as a forerunner was one who would go ahead of the troops and go before them, Jesus, our forerunner, is already in heaven, scouting it out, preparing a place for us. That's why John 14, verse 1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. 
You believe in God, believe also in me. And verse 2 says, In my Father's house were many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. This morning, as a believer, you've got hope. God himself bring you comfort. God's promises bring us comfort. And God's presence brings us comfort. And through all those, we have an anchor. We have hope that cannot ever fade away. It can't. Problem is, Christian, where are you looking when the tough times come? Are you looking to your anchor? Are you looking at everything else? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth, oh, they'll grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you cannot lie.